Welcome to the Revolution Church of New York City podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. Unlike most ministries, Revolution Church of New York City is not backed by grants from larger institutions. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionnyc.com donate. You can also read more by clicking the donate section on our website to learn more. Thanks for listening. I had um, one sermon written um, for this Sunday, and um, in light of events, not only did I feel I had needed to preach another sermon, um, but the sermon that I had, was I felt, was wildly inappropriate. Um, sometimes things that happen in the world radically change. Um where you're thinking and um, also bring to light some wrong thinking. Um, and I felt like the sermon I had is filled with some wrong thinking that I need to, to investigate. Um, so we'll revisit that one at another time, but I want to begin today um, not only for, for us, um, but for, for the people that are listening at home, I'd like to take um, just a moment of silence for the for the victims of um, the tragedy in Colorado and for all victims of violence. So, if you'll join me for a minute. Amen. Um, when we're faced as a nation and as a world with with an event like this, um, and especially in the Facebook era, the first thing that we do is we we respond, um, and usually that response, especially for this time around, because. These things do happen, it seems, on an alarmingly increasing basis. Um, and this time around, usually the response is one of sympathy first, and then maybe a week later, then the discussion begins. Um, but I felt like from the get-go, the blaming game started right away. Um, we wanted to blame lax gun control. We wanted to blame video games, blame bad parenting, blame mental illness, blame Hollywood. Um, and to me, that initial response really disturbed me. And even though I found myself being sucked in by it and responding to it, I never respond to Facebook. Uh, 
you know, those long ones that go on forever and ever. Like, and I found myself like jumping right in. And I think for me, jumping right in into the into blaming was part and parcel of at least I'm speaking personally that I didn't want to take the blame. If I blame someone else, I didn't. What I'm saying is that I think we are part of the problem. Um, and it's, I think we all, as a nation, we sense that right away and had to jump to blaming other people right away. We are part of the problem. We all participate in this thing Walter Wink calls the myth of redemptive violence. I'm going to quote um, Walter Wink. Um, the belief that violence saves is so successful because it doesn't seem to be mythic in the least. Violence simply appears to be the nature of things. It's what works. It seems inevitable, the last and often the first resort in conflicts. If a god is what you turn to when all else fails, violence certainly functions as a god. What people overlook, then, is the religious character of violence. It demands from its devotees an absolute obedience unto death. The myth of redemptive violence is the real myth of the modern world. It is not Judaism or Christianity or Islam. Redemptive violence is the dominant religion in our society today. It's obvious that, that this young man saw something redemptive in this horrible act of violence. We don't know his mind. We don't know where he was, what caused that. But there was something in him that led him to do this that for him was a cleansing of sorts. And it's true. We as a culture look at violence as a way to save us. Of course, the first response is, you know, from a lot of people is, I hope he gets the death chair. And again, that redemptive violence, we fight violence with violence. And we call out for justice, but it's a perverted sense of justice. It's not real justice. It's not a justice of the prophets. It's a justice of the sword. And I am guilty of it. I'm not preaching here to anybody but myself. I remember, and I've talked to you about this before, I remember right after 9-11 when we were ready to invade Afghanistan, I supported that completely. And I actually pray, prayed a prayer that said, God, please turn your eyes away for this moment. I still live in the horror that I prayed that prayer. Now, where does this myth of redemptive violence come from? How have we gotten here? Um, Wink, Walter Wink, went all the way back to the Babylonian creation myth. Um, and I want to read you what he says about it. 
In the beginning, according to the Babylonian myth, Apsu, the father god, and Tiamat, the mother god, give birth to all the other gods. But the frolic king of the younger gods makes so much noise that the older gods reserve to kill them so they can sleep. The younger gods uncover the plot before the elder gods put, in, put it into action and kill Apsu. His wife, Tiamat, the dragon of chaos, pledges revenge. Terrified by Tiamat, the rebel god turns for salvation to their youngest mother, member, Marduk. He negotiates a steep price. If he succeeds... He must, be given chief, he must be given chief and undisputed power in the assembly of the gods. Having extorted this promise, he catches Tiamat in a net, drives an evil wind down her throat, shoots an arrow that bursts her distended belly and pierces her heart. He then splits her skull with a club and scatters her blood in out-of-the-way places. He stretches out her corpse full length and from it creates the cosmos. In this myth, creation is an act of violence. Marduk murders and dismembers Tiamat and from her cadaver creates the world. As the French philosopher Paul Ricoeur observes, order is established by means of disorder. Chaos, symbolized by Tiamat, is prior to order, represented by Marduk, high god of Babylon. Evil precedes good in this myth. The gods themselves are violent. Wink continues, the implications are clear. Human beings are created from the blood of a murdered god. Our very origin is violence, according to this myth. Killing is in our genes. Humanity is not the originator of evil, but merely finds evil already present and perpetuates it. Our origins are divine, to be sure, since we are made from a god, but from the blood of an assassinated god. Now you say, what does this have to do with with us? What is a Babylonian myth? have to do with us. It's not our myth. It's not our story. No, but we have adapted it. We have somehow inherited the story. We have made the story ours. We have taken the story and fused it into the Judeo-Christian story. We have used this story to give a wrong interpretation of Genesis. Genesis is the opposite of the story. Genesis is a God that creates not out, not, not out of violence, but out of actual life. And what do we do to it? We put original sin into it. That's not in there. (laughs) Just so you know, original sin is not found in Genesis. We have taken the Babylonian violence myth and put it into Genesis. We've put it into the crucifixion by making the crucifixion a blood atonement. It's not in there. It's not there. The crucifixion to me, and people have, there's several theories of what the crucifixion means, but it's not a scapegoat. It's not taking the blood of Christ and wiping it over our heads so that we can be saved. That's not what it is. For me, 
it's an identification with the reality of violence in the world and the knowledge and truth that we can overcome it. Now, not only have we infused this violence, well, you see, like what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we've infused this myth, this myth of redemptive violence into our own stories. And so it's no surprise that we've also infused it into our theology. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Violence. That is a violent theology. And I'm done. I'm done. If I, I can't hear that anymore, I've gotten to a point where I just have to say, no, you can't say that. Because if I hate something that you do, I, it's not long before I hate you too. If you love the sinner or hate the sin, you still want to eradicate something in them. You still want to assassinate something in them. To love the sinner hate the sin is a violent act. And it leads to a violence of exclusionary thought. We've taken this violence and we've added it to our theology of hell and the afterlife. Jerry Newcomb, the spokesperson for an evangelical group called Truth in Action, said this in response to the violence in Colorado. If a Christian dies early... If a Christian dies young, it seems tragic. But really, it is not tragic, because they are going to a wonderful place. On the other hand, if a person doesn't know Jesus Christ, if they knowingly reject Jesus Christ, then basically, they are going to a terrible place. For those who are not in Christ and see this incredible tragedy, this would be a good time for soul reflection. And consider why you have not accepted Jesus Christ. I would urge anyone who is not in Christ to repent of your sins. Sorry, Mr. Newcomb. But the non-believer victims in this tragedy are not going to hell. They have already been there. And for you to make that kind of statement is violence. In order to live this myth of redemptive violence, which we do, we embrace it, we live it. We don't think we do, but we do. And in order to do it, we hide behind a a theology that our gut doesn't believe in. We hide behind a theology that, that, in, in I, I just think in our, in our gut of guts, in our heart of hearts, no one in their right mind could agree with this statement. No compassionate human being could agree with what Mr. Newcomb said there. And I think I honestly believe that no one does. But we create a mass that says we do. Because we want, we see chaos and we want to add order. And we do that by trying to make sure that we're in, (laughs) 
that we're okay, that we're safe. And I understand the need to be safe. Certainly in this time right now, any time a tragedy like this happens, any time a sense of an act of violence happens in a public place, we we have a sense of fear. This is a human response. It is natural to feel a little afraid and not want to be in groups of people. This is a natural thing. But if we start hiding behind an occlusionary theology that says, here we are and we're safe here, it's the outside world that's chaotic. The inside world is order. That's violence. I saw this movie this week, um, Holy Rollers. Have you heard about this? Um, It's about a group of evangelical Christians in Seattle, Washington, that form a a company of professional card-counting gamblers. Um, And they... uh, it's a really it's a pretty good documentary. They 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 tell the story of them forming this company and everybody works and they teach people how to count cards. And then of course because they're evangelical Christians, they go to to steal the casino's money even though the casino is what's providing them with their livelihood, but that's another thing altogether. They're out to destroy the casinos in their minds. Um, and it's a and and they all get a salary, and they all get a bonus if they do do good. So they're making up to a hundred grand a year each doing this. And they support themselves. They say, "Well, then this gives us time to be pastors and to you know." And and it's a disconnect that I find very fascinating um, because it's creating this kind of mask that allows you to do horrible things. Um, and participate in a lifestyle that you might not otherwise want to participate in. Um, but more disturbing in the movie is the first part of the film, things are going great. Everybody's making money. Ministries are thriving and surviving because, because they're you know all being funded by evil casinos. And then all of a sudden the money disappears and nobody's winning anymore. And the math isn't making sense. And so obviously when that happens, people start thinking somebody in the group is stealing. Somebody is stealing. And inevitably then what happens is that somebody in the group gets a message from the Holy Spirit. And I've said it before, whenever anybody gets, I don't understand it, but whenever anybody gets a message from the Holy Spirit, it's never good news. Whenever anybody gets a message from the Holy Spirit, it's like, you're doing great, awesome. It's never that. It's like, you know, you, I'm, I'm grieving. My spirit, my spirit is, it's always horrible. And the message he gets from the Holy Spirit is one of the people in the group is stealing and the Holy Spirit has told him his name. And it just so happens that the name of that person is also the only non-Christian in the group. My name is the Holy Spirit, and I'm here to give you bad news. And what happens is what seemed to be at the beginning a group that was interested in maybe redefining Christianity somehow, 
or at least what people perceive it to be, end up all agreeing with this guy. And you see the interviews, and they say, well, it's just hard when someone doesn't share your values. How about humanity? (laughs) How about sharing human values? Doesn't that count for anything anymore? It has to be Christian values, or you don't trust? I mean, what disturbed me about that is that it basically said that I don't trust anybody that's not a Christian. This is not what Christ called us to be. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the sayings of Jesus does Christ say, trust Christians and people that believe in me only. Everybody else, you know, just be a little suspect. No, he calls us to love, to love our neighbor as ourselves, not our Christian neighbors as ourselves, but all of our neighbors as ourselves. And so again, we create things, we create masks in, to hide behind. Um, I mean, even even the shooter dressed up, you know, to cre- he created a mask in order to face his violence. This myth of redemptive violence captures all facets of our society. It captures our politics, it captures our education, it captures our dialogue. Inevitably, you've seen on Facebook somebody typing in this week, guns don't kill people, people kill people. I would say guns don't kill people. A society acting out a myth of redemptive violence kills people. Now, When I say that, I don't want to mince words. To me, guns have no place in this culture of redemptive violence. No place. We, my personal belief is that we don't need guns. We just don't. And I will work as a pastor to ban all assault weapons and and if I have my way, all guns. We don't need them. We just don't need them. Now, there's other things involved here, you know, and I want to make sure that, you know, it's a bigger picture. That's why I'm bringing up this myth of redemptive violence. Just eradicating guns is not going to solve the problem, you know, which who knows if that will ever happen. But as long as we live out this thing that violence is going to save that somehow blood has to be spilled for us to be atoned, there's going to be problems. I see the violence even in our mental health system. You know, nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about the assault on, 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 on automatic weapons and this, and I, and I agree. But part of the dialogue that's missing is we, we don't have – maybe, the, you know – you hear people on the news, right, and they say, well, this is an act of a deranged killer, of a deranged person. That, yeah, okay, so if he, was, if he was mentally ill, chances are he didn't have insurance. Chances are if he did, mental health was not covered. Part of the violence of our culture is also reflective 
in our for-profit healthcare system. Now, again, these are my opinions. And you can say you're getting political, but I'm just calling it like I see it. Now, like I said, I think that we do need to work to ban assault weapons. But we also have to be careful that as we're trying to work to eradicate destructive things in our society, we have to at the same time encourage creative things. We must not discourage a culture of death, but we also have to actively promote a culture of life. And how do we do that? We become peacemakers. And what does that mean? Well, Romans fourteen nineteen. let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual edification. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. I want to make peace. And I want to do it with everyone here. Gone are the days of Christian justice. It has to be human justice or it's nothing at all. We have to start breaking down the boundaries that people find themselves in. And because those boundaries, like I say, are really just masks that we can hide behind in order to participate in a myth that we don't really even understand. Maybe if one person smiled or said a kind word to James Holmes, none of this would have happened. Maybe if one person didn't judge him in a particular way, none of this would have happened. Maybe if one person pursued peace and mutual edification with him, none of this would have happened. I don't know what the role of the church is anymore. I don't. Certainly, the church can provide comfort in times like these, and thank God for the churches that are doing visuals and and there for people. But we have to do more. We have to do something else. We have to be something else. It's more than just doing something. We actually have to be something else. We can no longer be a club. And this goes not only for conservative Christians, but it goes for progressive Christians as well. You know, I think there is a, a fear in for me in progressive Christianity. In conservative Christianity, you know, we... We hear people say, if you don't believe the way I believe, then you're going to hell. Well, in progressive Christianity, people say, if you don't believe the way I believe, then you're going to hell that I don't believe in. Or something like that. But, you know, like, there's still a feeling that that right belief is the answer.
when the truth is that we have to know what we believe. Whether it's right or wrong. And then move forward in that. Because the danger of not knowing what we believe is that we get sucked up by beliefs that we didn't even know we had. So where do we go from here? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I do know that I want to make peace. However that is, to make peace in this world right here right now and to make sure people not and not send people to hell but but save people from hell here that's what we need to do that's what we're called to do you've heard the expression give them hell no give them heaven right here right now give them heaven make heaven on earth just as the prayer says on earth as it is in heaven. Give us peace. Bring it now. Bring it now. Bring it now. Today. And let us move beyond the mass that we view ourselves in. Let us take the, these things off and have some radical honesty with one another. Move beyond this, Christ, this conservative liberal dialogue. Just move beyond. And try to live in peace that's all I got today Um, I encourage you to stick around and um, love one another now Um, I want this to be a community of people that are learning to love well and we the only way to do that is together because you can't love by yourself. So I encourage you to do that. Um, I'm going to pass around the offering hat right now. Um, we'd rather have you than your money, um, of course. But if if uh, we do have to rent the space and other things, so if you if you can help us out, we appreciate it. And uh, while that's going around, um, I'll say a prayer. Creator God, allow us in this moment to be co-creators with you. Give us the wisdom to look to build up rather than to destroy. To look for places that we can add life rather than take it away. Help us to be free from myths that have governed us, that have led us down wrong paths. Let us not get caught into these traps of right thinking or right theology. Would rather help us to see what we actually do believe, confront it, deal with it, and move forward. Help us to do this as a community, not just this community, but as a big community, as a large community, as all of your children. We ask this all in the name of peace. Amen.